What's up, maniacs? My name is Sky Menhart, and you're listening to Manic State of Mind, a podcast where a crazy, insane person just tries to survive the apocalypse. Welcome to the show. Hello, hello, and welcome back. I'm not going to talk like that for the rest of the episode, I promise. Unfortunately, guys, I can't help but be myself. And it's really interesting because I used to think the secret to life was like, just be yourself, be who you are, live your authentic life and speak your truth. But most people don't really want to do that. (laughs) Um, Most people don't want to live and walk in the light of the truth. And so whenever you're honest with them, it's like they're living in delusion and they want to keep living in delusion. And I guess I'm, I'm coming to this place, you know, where I think everybody should just do whatever the fuck they want, right? The world is ending. China's sending balloons into the Atlantic. Oh, I don't know what the fuck is going on, but the government is a joke. <laughs> I mean, what, what was this George Santos? What is he, a, a Hispanic, Brazilian, uh, Jewish? Um, I Like, what's going on? He pretended to be Jewish. I think it's unique. I, I didn't realize people... <laughs> Anyway, it doesn't matter. I don't need to get into George Santos because you guys can Google it. It's fucking nuts. This man was swore. He's a congressman who lied about his entire identity. And I think he's still I think he's still a congressman. So the government is a joke. And if you guys are obviously this podcast is all satire and hyperbole and comedy. Don't take anything I say seriously. All of my opinions are opinions and everything's opinions and everything's alleged and nothing is real. And don't listen to a word I say. I'm not qualified. Just got to get that out of the way for legal reasons because, um, because, you know, anyway. So the government is a joke. And if anybody try, if I see any of, I mean, I'm not really following anybody right now, but if I see anybody on Instagram posting, go vote, I'm going to be like, I mean, in the local elections, it's one thing. Okay. But in the fucking presidential, this is a joke, people. This is a joke. The news, watching the news is like watching SNL at this point because it's just so fucking nuts and unbelievable. And I think the beauty of now, of this time right now, is that after the pandemic, we all became aware of how fucked up everything was. And so now it's like we're just watching the the train crash. You know what I mean? Like the train is just crashing and we just get to watch. And the best thing about living in the United States is the entertainment, right? We have the best entertainment. I'm sorry, please, fi- please find me somewhere else that does music, movies, anything like us. You can't find it. And our government has now become um, not even a sitcom. This is our government has become a trash reality show. I mean, this is this is big brother level. This is This is Love Island level nonsense. This is Jersey Shore. I'd feel more confident if Pauly D was running for president than whoever the fuck is, whoever's in there now, because I'm not paying attention. So if I see any of you idiots telling people to go vote in the presidential election, which obviously my subscribers, you know, I'm not, I'm not talking, when I say idiots, I'm talking to people who don't listen to the show, okay? You guys are my maniacs, my, my listeners, my audience, and the idiots are, you know, idiots who's never going to hear this, right? Um, <laughs> so if I see these idiots saying, go vote, like vote for Obama or whoever, it's like, what's the point, guys? Really, what's the point? We don't have a say. 
in the election because of the Electoral College. I mean, we all learned that in school. I don't need to explain it. Not that I can. But it's a fucking joke. (laughs) There is no point in like participating in the federal government at this point. And I don't need to get into it, right? This is not a politics show. This is a mental health show. And I like to say that because I want people to be aware, you know, because we live in this. And I think people my age are not my age and older. They're not stupid. They can understand nuance. But a lot of these iPad kids, these Gen Z, um, because I'm a zillennial. I'm in between. I was born in 1997. Please don't come for me. I'm the perfect. I I come from the best generation, the zillennials. So and I know most of the people, I mean, I have a wide age range on this podcast, but most people are 25 to 34, right? So this is zillennial, millennial generation. We can comprehend nuance. These iPad kids who are on TikTok, they can't comprehend nuance because not only are their brains not fully developed, but they've been on iPads their whole life. And that really, I don't know. I don't know, guys. In a couple of years, there's going to be some shit coming out about how cocoa melon is bad for your kids. And I think we've already seen it um, with the rise in ADHD. And who, I mean, who knows? I, I, I get really tired of everybody having a mental illness now. And my friend Holly, who you should check out her Instagram page, Holly Hearing Things, and she has a podcast, Manic in Miami. Um, she's, yes, today which today is Monday, February 6th. Um, she, she was roasting all of these like stupid mental health pop psychology pages because they're so stupid and bullshit. And she roasted them on her story and it was pretty funny. So you should check her out because she does cool stuff on there. But anyway, a lot of these, a lot of these people, the younger kind of generation, they're still stuck in that woke culture, which I spoke about in my last episode a little bit, if you guys want to check that out. But I just think that we need to be able to, if we're going to move forward in any area, whether it be LGBTQ, whether it be mental health, whether it be women's rights, whether it be, um, you know, anything, we really need to be open to having nuanced conversations and not looking at everything so black and white, right? So I think a couple things we need to stop doing in order to like actually move forward as a society because right now people are getting offended that, you know, you're using the wrong pronouns, you're misgendering me. And like I said in my last episode or a couple episodes ago, women in Iran, in Iran, sorry, Iran, women in Iran are getting acid thrown in their face for wearing their hair down. So whenever you're facing that level of a human rights violation, please come to me and complain about your pronouns. I'm sorry. You think the women in Iran who can't, who don't have basic rights are getting upset about being missed? I'm sorry, guys, but you really need to look at a bigger picture, okay? I think the whole woke idea comes from liberal white people who are very privileged and wealthy, who do not have to live in the real world and deal with actual things like poverty, um, stress, not being able to buy groceries, pay your bills. There's just so many more important things to be worried about than somebody saying the wrong pronouns. And we all know this. Um, And I'm not going to sit here and baby anybody about it. And that's just an example, right? Obviously, I support the LGBTQ community. I'm bi. And I know bisexual erasure is a huge thing, but I don't care. Like, I'm just here being myself. And I think... The people, I mean, it's not, I just use that as as an example because people do get really offended, but you can find examples within the feminist movement, um, within any sort of movement. And I try to speak about things that are in my experience and in my perspective so I can give my nuanced perspective 
so that people are just aware of what's going on. I'm a real person with a real life. I struggle with poverty, mental illness um, on a daily basis. So I want you to know that's where I'm coming from. That's the angle I'm coming from. Because sometimes people get so triggered online that they can't hear a different opinion than their own. And that's nuts. We're never going to make progress if we can't hear other people's opinions and experiences, okay? So now that all my disclaimers are out of the way, I wanted to give you guys the juicy details that you came here for. And okay, so I'm, I'm just going to give you a little context for my listeners who don't follow me on Instagram yet, which you really should follow my podcast page, Manic State of Mind podcast, and follow my personal page, Amorphous Blob of Goo, because on Amorphous Blob of Goo, I like to post about a lot of things that I'm interested in. It's sort of a wider range of topics from pop culture to music to celebrities. Um, those are kind of some, some things I'm interested in. I love dragging the Kardashians. I like to uh, talk about and spread awareness about plastic surgery trends, etc. Um, and if you're interested in any of that, it's pretty funny. I do a lot of cool, original like photos and stuff, which I edit really interesting and fun, kind of psychedelic vibes. So I'm really active. I'm more active on my personal page and I do a lot of behind the scenes content for the podcast as well. So I recommend following both because on my podcast page, you're going to get show times. You're going to know the schedule of when I record. You're going to know what topics I'm talking about each week. And then on my personal page, I kind of go deeper into the topics I, I speak about during the week. And then I post all my personal shit, which is interesting too. So that's what I recommend you doing. And if you follow my Instagram, you know that a couple weeks ago I had a big bad manic episode and I dragged a bunch of people online who I don't like and one thing I want to make clear because (laughs) some people reached out to me (laughs) who I had dragged and I don't know if they had sent like I don't know I just want you to know everybody I dragged I don't like or fuck with okay I didn't drag any of my friends or people I respect and I also don't lie Um, I want to make this very clear because I think a lot of people see mania differently than a manic person is experiencing it. And people with manic depression don't lie. Um, I was, and I mean manic depression, right? I I, I don't think bipolar 2 is a real thing. And we don't need to get into that today because Holly and I will be covering it in the future. But um, mania is a really interesting thing. Um, so when you're manically depressed, you really can't lie. It's everything about me is 100% authentic and real. So whenever I did that roast and that drag of all these people I hate, I wasn't lying about anything I said. Nothing I said was a lie. And, and I, and I stand by what I said and I'm not ashamed or embarrassed about what I said. I think the roasts and the jokes are, were fucking funny and if you missed it this is why you need to follow my instagram because i post so much shit on my stories and i delete it because it gets really real sometimes and i don't want to like hurt people's feelings but i was manic and i dragged all of these people from my past and i and i roasted them and i don't fucking feel bad at all that's what i want you to know i don't feel guilty i don't feel bad i'm not sorry and i stand by everything i said I think a lot of people probably saw that and they were like, oh, Skylar's just manic. She's crazy. And I did get a text message from somebody that I dragged who I don't like or respect. And they were like, I love you so much. And I'm like, oh, you're stupid. Block. You know, I blocked them right away. And then they tried to call me a bunch of times. I'm assuming to I don't I really don't know why I don't know this person. 
Um, so they, then they think I'm friends with them or something. So I blocked them, you know, didn't talk to them because I said everything I needed to say in the roast and my comedy, my jokes, they speak for themselves and they're fucking hilarious. So I was like using, I just did a bunch. It was just so funny. And I have the whole thing, uh, saved. So maybe there, I, but I'm not going to repost it cause I don't want to give these losers free promo anymore. Um, but like the jokes, man, they were amazing. I used like stand up clips that related to the drag and then I tagged people and then I, I used like just funny memes and shit. It was, and gifts. I'm a big gif girl and it's just, my personal page is a fun time. If you're here for drama and gossip, go over there. I don't really subtweet people. <laughs> I don't subtweet because everything I say online, I would say to somebody in real life. But a lot of the people who I dragged, I don't speak to in real life because I don't respect them or like them and, you know, they're garbage. So I had to go on, take it online. And I think a lot of people probably just thought I was manic, but I want you to know I was manic, but I wasn't psychotic, girl. This is the first manic episode I've had almost ever where I wasn't also psychotic. It was a really fun time until I went to the hospital, right? So the biggest mistake I made is going to the psych ward. And I know I talk about this all the time. I talked about it in an episode. Don't go to the psych ward. Scroll back through my shit. You can find it. Um, don't go to the psych ward because they don't treat you humanely. I don't even recommend going to the hospital in general because uh, of the mistreatment <laughs> in the United States. And I know most of you guys are from the U.S. Um, I looked at my demographics and I understand that I'm probably too abrasive for somebody in Canada to listen to. And that's okay. You know, I like who I am. I really like who I am and I'm really secure and really confident in my skills and my abilities as a person, as an individual. Um, and I'm finally getting to this point in my life where things are coming together as far as my podcast goes, as far as my online presence and my brand goes. And so I really want people to know that I meant everything I said when I was manic. I meant everything I said. I do not regret a single thing. And I, yeah, I don't lie. So everything I said was true. And the reason I don't feel scared is because the people who I roasted and dragged, I have so much dirt on them and they have no dirt on me. I mean, what can they say that I haven't said on this show? People are so funny. Like they think I'm not a fucking genius and I'm not calling, I'm not going to be here. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not Kanye. Okay. I'm not going to sit here and say I'm a God and I'm a genius. Like I'm taking my meds, but I'm a genius and people want to act like I'm stupid and I'm crazy, but mania, manic depressed people are pretty fucking smart. And I'm a Virgo. <laughs> I'm a Virgo. So I really am organized, which is propelling me forward because I'm a fucking producer. Producers are ahead of the game. Producers have timing on their side. Producers look into the future and see the trends and jump on the trend before other people do. And then they succeed. And the producer knows that you have to play the long con to get what you want, the long con. So a lot of that shit I talked about people I've been holding on to for months and years, and they probably just thought, oh, Skylar's just being manic. But no, dude, I was manic, but I wasn't fucking lying. And I wish you would come for me. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? DM my husband? Oh, is DM my brother-in-law? Is Skylar okay? DM me, pussy bitch. 
please. Why are you coming to my family? Fuck you. So all I'm saying is I meant what I said and I stand by it. And I'm still laughing at those jokes, man. I'm still laughing at them. And I go through and I look at that and I don't feel any shame or regret. I sit there and I say, bitch, I'm hilarious. I'm hilarious. Okay. And I can't do stand up right now. I can't do stand up right now, which I want to do. Um, so I'm, I'm stuck to dragging people on Instagram, but one day I'll do it live and they'll pay. Anyway, I don't need to get into that, but I'm just trying to say, I'm just trying to let you guys know how good I feel about myself and I'm not manic right now. I'm coming down. So I went to the psych ward. Let's get back into that. And if you read, and I really, I don't know, guys, I really don't want to talk about me getting physically assaulted, uh, because it was, it's, it's, the trauma is extremely fresh. Okay. It happened like a, a week and a half ago or something. And I was only in for five days, but I got beat up on like the first night and put in a, in a, you know, solitary confinement, which is just a room with a mat on the floor, no windows, you know, box basically. So I wrote about it in my Instagram caption that I posted on amorphous blob of goo today, which is Monday. And I really don't want to talk about the juicy details of getting beat because the trauma is so fresh and it really brings me to a dark place. Um, But I've never been treated so inhumanely before, which is cool. Great. Don't we love breaking records? Don't we fucking love breaking records, people? I've never, this is the most inhumanely I've ever been treated. Great. So I want to mention something because I've received most of my treatment. Olive, be quiet. You are fine. You need to shut up and lay down. You're not going anywhere. You are okay. Sorry, my dog. I have a seven. How old are you? Eight, nine months. She's still a puppy, but she's huge. She's a an American bully, extra large. She's ginormous. She's bigger than our full grown American bully, who's like a standard. And she's still a puppy, so she's in this whiny phase. And I just, I can't edit it out, like I said. But anyway, so I don't really want to talk about my trauma because it's very fresh. I need to do, I mean, I can't do ketamine right now. But I'm telling you, the second I can get some ketamine infusion therapy, I'm getting it because it was extremely horrible. I've never been treated so inhumanely. And the reason I want to mention, you know, where I used to live, because for most of, hey, all of figure it out, lay down. For most of my mental health experience, I've been treated for mental health in blue states. So blue states are like democratic states, right? And this isn't a political show, but Democrats tend to believe in human rights a little bit more than Republicans, at least women's rights, mental health rights, LGBTQ, etc. If you need proof, just Google uh, Supreme Court, blah, blah, blah. So I lived in Virginia for, the, you know, for a long time. Um, the whole time I was diagnosed. And so I received most of my treatment in Virginia, in the DMV, which is DC, Maryland, Virginia, Montgomery County, um, Shady Grove Hospital was where I was like first hospitalized. And I got a bunch of treatment, you know, all around Virginia. And being in a blue state, I didn't realize, (laughs) I didn't realize that there are actual more laws to protect people with mental illness. And I think there's more regulations around how you can treat people. So now I'm in North Carolina, which is a red state. And I live in a blue area. I live in Asheville, which is super hippie. Um, There's not really anything I can compare Asheville to. It's just like a hippie, spiritual vortex type of town. So the law, like in Asheville itself, things are a little bit more democratic. But at this specific hospital that I went to, Olive, which was at, she wants to play right now. Hold on one second. 
So I went to Advent Health in Fletcher or Hendersonville, and it was horrible. Don't, don't go there. So I don't want to get into the being beat up on the first night and I don't, but I do want to get into some of the things that happened because it was so insane. I mean, we were not getting regularly fed. There were a lot of times where they would miss meal, like they would miss, like somebody wouldn't get a meal and then there were no snacks, right? And this is a psych ward in Advent Health, um, the Hope Ward, which is like a women's ward where you can't leave. There's no outdoor time. You don't go outside for the whole time you're there. So you're stuck in this unit. They really don't like it if you walk around the unit. They really don't want you to be loud to talk. Um, They don't want you to ask for snacks or ask for help. It was like there was one good nurse I had, but like the rest of them, if I asked them if I couldn't sleep and I like go to the nurse's station and like ask for something, they act like it's a huge inconvenience for them to do their job. So and then there was no snacks like and, and if you're I don't know. If you're in the psych ward, it's like you really have nothing else to do but kind of eat and drink water and like take a shower. And they wouldn't allow us any pens or pencils or markers. So we could only use crayons to write with. And they weren't even good crayons. They were shitty 20-year-old Rose Art crayons. So we... So I had to have a Sharpie snuck in. My husband brought me like a couple Sharpies and a couple notebooks, and they don't provide notebooks either. They do provide pr- plenty of uh, LNG white literature, which I happily ripped up and threw in the toilet, which is why I got beat because I was manic. I trashed my room. They said if they said I could leave, you know, they always do that shit because I, I never want to be in the psych ward in the first place. I usually go because somebody close to me doesn't feel like dealing with me, which was the case this time. And... You know, they don't feel like dealing with my bullshit. And the people, unfortunately, I've been to more therapy than anybody I'm related to or married to. So they don't understand how to deal with a manic person or, you know, how how inhumane the psych ward is. So, you know, I go in the first night. I trash my room because I don't want to be there. And they always say, oh, you can leave tomorrow. You know, they say that bullshit, but that's not true. They, they don't let you leave if you don't want to go. You're kind of, I guess the word is 5150. I don't really know. It's like the Baker Act or some something like that. Holly had told me about it a while ago. But you sign your rights away, basically. You sign away all your rights when you go in, and you can't leave until they let you. And then if you want to leave, they really don't. It's really up to them whenever you leave, just regardless of how you feel. So you don't really get a say in when when you go, when you get out of there. It's all up to the doctors and the nurses and the social workers. And there's a lot of people involved in in you getting discharged. It's not just the nurses, which it kind of should be just the nurses and doctors considering they're the ones giving you medical treatment, right? But no, it's every single social worker that comes in. It's every single nurse on the floor. So that means not, not just your nurse, but all the other garbage methed out nurses. And it is the doctors. And there's multiple doctors. It's not just one. And it's the psychiatric nurse practitioners that they call in because the doctors can't do their fucking job. So I'm a lucky bitch and I have a psychiatric nurse practitioner. He didn't even know I had been admitted into the hospital until two days after, which, and he was actually upset whenever I, I mean, he wasn't really upset. He's a very cool guy, chill guy, love him. Um, and he, he was just like, I met with him last week after I'd gotten out or this week. And he was like, oh my God, I didn't even know you were in. He was like, this was so crazy. He said, you know, don't go to the psych ward again. He was willing to work with me 
on my medications at home, which is the best way to do it. Your psychiatrist doesn't even want you to go to the psych ward because of how inhumane it is, right? He didn't even, they had not, they had not communicated anything with him. And he's my primary care provider. He didn't know what medication I was taking. He didn't know the plan. They had not communicated with him until he came in on the last day. And he was like, and I was like, hey man, like what the fuck is going on? Like, they're not letting me go. You know, they haven't checked my levels. Like, all this shit. And he was like, what the fuck? I didn't even know you were in here. And he obviously helped things, helped things move along so I could be discharged. The reason I say these nurses were on meth is because several things would happen that didn't make any sense, right? So you're supposed to be able to sleep through the whole night at a psych ward. But if you've had a lot of trauma at a psych ward, it could be hard to sleep. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Being trapped in a building is not always the best thing uh, for you when you're manic or when you're depressed. <laughs> So I didn't sleep the whole time I was there and I was there for five days. I slept on the last night, but the, all the rest of the nights I didn't sleep and I, you know, asked for medicine. It would just be a horrible hassle. And then the nurses, they come in and check on you every 15 minutes, which is not normal, by the way. I mean, at some places they do, but this is like uh, excessive. Like we wouldn't be moving out of our rooms and they come in and open the door every, every 15 minutes all at night, let in all that bright fluorescent light from the hallway, open these big heavy ass squeaky doors and like check on you and stare at you. And then they wonder why you can't sleep. And then there's noises. <laughs> this hospital was so cool because every single, every single intercom from every floor at all times would go through the whole hospital. So it's like two o'clock in the morning and we're hearing like, Peepaw, Peepaw's having a heart attack. Peepaw can't make it. Code red, code red. And then they would play this little song when a baby was born, like twinkle, twinkle, little. And it's like, this is too fucking much, too much. And then the nurses would come to get your blood work or check your heart rate at two in the fucking morning. They would come upstairs. I'm like, what, what kind of cocaine are you guys doing? Are you guys doing Ozempic or Adderall or meth? What is going on? They would come in at 2 a.m. to get my heart rate. I'm like, why? Why are you checking my vitals at two in the fucking morning? And then when you complain about it, everybody's like, oh, I don't know why they're doing it. It's like nobody's taking accountability. And then everybody, of course, the nurses, they're just like, well, it's the medical system. It's the medical system. You know, it's just HCA. But you still have a choice to be a good nurse, okay? And I only had two good nurses when I was there the entire time, okay? And I didn't get them every single day. So it was really upsetting, just the, the, the <laughs> not getting food. I'm also pregnant, which I don't want to talk about, but I wasn't getting food and I was pregnant. And I asked them for snacks every single day. They said that a nutritionist was going to come talk to me and give me more food. Never fucking happened. My husband had to bring in food for me, which they didn't allow. Of course, I didn't get, I didn't get much of the food. He brought me a bag, big ass bag from Whole Foods. And I got, I got to have a little bit of it, but they took it away, of course, because we can't have food in the rooms, because we might choke. We might choke ourselves on the food and kill ourselves. Like, what's the point? I just don't get these rules. So anyway, I didn't, I, I didn't have proper nutrition being pregnant six months, by the way, which is when you're supposed to start eating a little bit more and, you're, and, you're, and your appetite really goes up. And I've been poor the entire pregnancy, but I've always had enough food at home, even though I can't fucking afford it. So... I, I, oh my God, hold on one second. So I ended up losing probably 10 or 15 pounds in the hospital while six months pregnant, which I know my baby's okay because babies are just parasites. 
But it was still pretty frustrating when I'm like, it's not even because I haven't been able to meet my cravings during this pregnancy because of my, you know, poverty, blah, blah, blah. Don't feel bad for me. But it was annoying not even to be able to get food when you're hungry because it's different. Like a craving is different from just being plain fucking hungry. So and not to mention, I wasn't sleeping and I was extremely stressed and anxious the whole time because I didn't want to be there. So and I mentioned that because they beat a pregnant woman. Don't go to Advent Health. Don't do it. Don't go to any psych ward. But if you're going to go and you're in the Asheville area, go to party. Okay. I really did meet some cool people, as I always do in the psych ward. Um, There's always a lot of cool neurodivergent people who you connect with in a deep way. And I made some really good friends. I had my two little gal pals that, you know, we were the little trio together because, um, you know, you really, you're suffering with these people. You're in such a horrible, vulnerable time of your life and you meet these people and they're in the same place. And regardless of, you know, the differences between your struggles, but it's always really inspiring to see how, how amazing these people are. And right now I want to share a thought with you that I wrote down when I was in the hospital. I made a lot of content. I mean, if you want to call it content, I really wrote a lot with my one Sharpie until it was dry. And I wrote something, I just have to find it. So if you hear pages flipping, that's why. But I wanted to, I wrote something that I, oh my God, my dogs are barking again and I can't do anything about it. I'm not bringing them back inside. So this is something I wrote in regards to women seeking treatment and women in healthcare. Women are more likely to seek help for addiction, mental health. Thus, they are more likely to be abused by the medical system, which is primarily made up of women, nurses, and doctors. So what's the deal? Who are we fighting here? Misogyny destroys us all. The only option we have is to unify and demand better treatment or refuse to get treatment and allow the world to burn. This goes for anyone, not just women, but the entire labor force in the United States. Unity is the key. The media, which is run by the elite 1%, seeks to divide the common man, so revolution seems impossible. This is an illusion. The power has always lay in the hands of the people. And the reason I wrote that is because I was just feeling really inspired. I was reading this book. I'm still reading it, which is called The 48 Laws of Power. I've talked about it on my Instagram a little bit. Um, I've posted about it. It's by Robert Greene, and it's a very good book. Um, It uses kind of historical examples, and he has written these 48 laws that powerful people live by. And you can read these examples and be really inspired, and and, and you can apply it to your personal life. So the chapter that inspired me to write that was chapter 37, which was about Fouché. Um, I think Joseph Fouché, he he lived during the French Revolution, and... He kind of, I don't really need to get into his whole story, but he had this gift of timing. So um, he latched on to all of these successful people and promoted them like Robespierre during the French Revolution, who was the main one trying to get this monarchy destroyed. And then he got with Napoleon uh, Bonaparte before he became huge. And then whenever Napoleon started falling out of power, Fouché was still, he just remained in power the whole time and he survived a very long time because he was good at timing. 
And the reason I was so inspired by Fouché is because of the timing, because he had a producer's mind. Like I was talking about earlier, producers kind of see the trend of where things going. They kind of live 10 steps ahead in the future. Um, and, and so they create things and they do things and they move in a way that might not make sense to people in the present moment. And people might look at them in the present and be like, well, that doesn't make sense. I don't know what they're doing. I don't know them. But 10 years down the road, what, whether it's 10 years, five years, five months, whatever it is, people will see the vision that they saw in the beginning. And so producing and being a good producer is all about you spot something and you don't see it for what it is. You see it for its potential. And then you kind of invest in it, whether it be a person, uh, right? Because there's music producers that look at artists and they say, oh, okay, I see, I see who this person could be. Now, now I get to create a brand around them. I get to create, I get to create this image around them and I get to connect them with common people and kind of mold them and shape them into who they are. You know, there's podcast producers like me, um, and media producers like me, I'm a media producer. I mean, you can't say I'm not. Um, but anyway, it's all about jumping on the trend before it's popular and kind of riding that wave of timing in order to survive and thrive. And so that's what chapter 37 is about. And I, I encourage you guys to read that book because it's really good. It's just really interesting. If you like his history, if you like, and it's, and he does, he, it's an incredibly diverse history that he uses. He uses examples from all around the world, from China to the Native Americans. I mean, every, anything you can think of, African culture, European, everything all throughout time. So it's really fun to learn about these different stories and different people that came about all over the world. And I think at this point in this podcast, I'm going to continue nerding out about production because it's my passion. It's my, it's my goal. It's my life. So I wanted to give you guys a few little tips on how I'm kind of managing life after the psych ward because it's major trauma you go through. And like I said, I didn't sleep the entire time I was in. So I slept on the last night and then I finally came home and I got put on some meds that are safe, blah, blah, blah. And I've been sleeping a little bit better. I've been doing a meditation every day. And sometimes even if I don't do a meditation, I'll listen to some medita meditative music, which is like, just look up the different hertz of music. You can do um, one of them. A good one is 432 hertz. I think that helps with anxiety. It helps with depression. It just kind of gets you in a positive space. But I recommend looking up different frequencies of music. A really good channel I use is Meditative Mind, and it's not super weird. I know meditation can be kind of uncomfy for some people, especially if you come from like a religious background because it's, you know, the devil or whatever, but it's really not bad. It's all about just getting into the moment and focusing on your breath and like, and being mindful, right? So a great place to start is just with mindfulness. Um, another thing I'm doing, I'm trying to cut back on the caffeine, which is hard for me, but... I really, it really, the caffeine really builds up over time and it really affects me in a negative way. And I'm not telling anybody what to do, but I still have my little cup of coffee in the morning, but it's half decaf. And I'm actually taking my meds in the morning and at night, which is something I've never done. Most of the time I have just taken them all at night, but now I'm taking a little in the morning and a little at night. And I feel like it sets me up for the day in a good way. I also have written out a safety plan, which is something they do in the hospital, but you can do it at home. 
basically it just it just gives you a little list of like what your symptoms are when you need to start uh, looking out like what your triggers are whenever you need to start thinking about getting help or talking to your doctor just kind of making a list of those things is really helpful and just having it with you it's mostly for people who love you right who don't understand who haven't been to therapy ever in their life and who don't like know what's going on so that they don't mistreat you I'm just being real sorry um <laughs> and it's really helpful I did learn a couple of panic attack strategies and I think I'm going to make an episode about more of this stuff that I learned, like more practical tips, but I'm really having a lot of fun with the way I have things formatted now, which is more like long form, um, just kind of commentary, which is what I've always wanted to do. I guess I just didn't, it was just not the right time. So I'm trying this approach where instead of forcing myself to do things when I don't feel like it, I'm going to go with the flow and really just follow my intuition as far as creating a schedule for content goes. And it seems like that works a lot better for me. And because I'm creating a flow for myself, this part of the episode was recorded a couple days after I recorded the first part, guys. And I'm sorry. I'm not sorry because the flow is cohesive regardless. And <laughs> um, But yeah, I've just been in a weird space energy-wise. The trauma I experienced, it's like trauma sucks. Trauma is like, it's like a Russian, you know, those Russian dolls. Oh, by the way, that's a great show, Russian Doll. One of my favorite shows. I Sorry, guys, the recording cut off. Don't you love technology? Don't you love how shitty it is? <laughs> we have robots and AI, but my fucking iPhone can't record. <laughs> uh, anyway, so, and I know the FBI is listening, or the, I guess the CIA, not the FBI. The FBI, I don't care. Um, but anyway, Russian doll is a really good show, but you know, those Russian dolls, it's like you, there's a big one and then you open it and there's a, t a smaller one and a smaller one. That's kind of how trauma works a lot of times. And it's kind of like you have a big traumatic event and all the Russian dolls explode out of the big one. And then they're all, there's just like pieces of Russian dolls all over the floor. And you're just like, fuck, I have to put all this shit back together. And unfortunately, I was trying to explain this to somebody I love because they were kind of like, because I, you know, because like going through this manic episode was really traumatic, regardless, you know, of the actual horrible trauma of, you know, being in the psych ward and being physically abused by nursing staff <laughs> and security guards, um, which, by the way, I'm really not ready to talk about. I know you guys came for juicy details, but it's legit. I have PTSD, like legitimate, whatever. If you want to say complex PTSD, that's fine if that makes you feel better. But like I've been having nightmares and panic attacks every night because of this. And like I said, whenever a traumatic event happens, all of the old trauma that you haven't dealt with resurfaces. So I'm having trauma from my entire life come up right now. And it's extremely painful and I'm so grateful to be on medication that is like safe for me right now and that works for me because I, every night I've been having horrible nightmares that it's like, it's just been awful. I have a panic attack almost every night um, and I, and this time of year, Aquarius season, even though even though Aquariuses are my favorite sign and I love Aquarius energy, for some reason this time of year, I have panic attacks really bad. And I'm sure that's trauma related as well. I know I did overdose 
um, one time in January when I was 18 and it was, I almost died. I mean, I may, I may have almost died. I really don't know. But, um, so this time of year, even if I haven't, even if I don't have a manic episode and I don't go through trauma, it's like, I'm, I'm reliving trauma this time of year, no matter what I'm having panic attacks regularly and panic attacks. If you guys, I feel like people don't really know because a lot of people haven't had real trauma. I don't, I, I hate this. I'm not sure. It's not the trauma Olympics. Okay. Because people can go through different things and it will affect them the same way. Right. So like if you get hit as a kid, maybe you didn't get beat as a kid, but it still registers as abuse for you. <laughs> That's kind of how I see it. So it's like, all that trauma compiles and when you are in survival mode and I posted a reel about this on my on my um podcast Instagram I post more mental health related reels on there which is it's really good because I find some really good ones and one of them I'm not really gonna I can't really recite it um I can't really recite it But I can tell you that it said, you know, people who haven't been traumatized their entire life don't really understand when people talk about trauma. They think, oh, she kind of said something like, oh, mommy was mean to me and it hurt my feelings. But it's way more than that. For people who have been through trauma, it's like you're systemically denied the right to experience a normal life. So you are in survival mode for your entire life until you get out of the trauma. And even when you're out of the trauma, you're still in survival mode because that's all you've ever known. You've never been able to have a normal experience. So I think when I talk about trauma, I mean deep, real trauma. I don't mean my mom was mean to me or somebody somebody made fun of my looks as a middle schooler. I mean abuse, emotional, physical, um, psychological. I mean, I mean, you know, really deep, dark stuff that most people go through. But a lot of people aren't comfortable talking about. And for me, <laughs> I've talked about my trauma. I think, I think I've talked about it on this show quite a bit. But it is, I'm at a place right now where it is so raw and so scary. Scarier than it's ever been. Because unfortunately for me, I have really intense experiences. And, and I, I, I'm a witch. I believe in astrology. So I know that's because I have a lot of Scorpio p- placements. <laughs> Yay! I have a lot of Scorpio placements and my moon is in Gemini in the eighth house, which is Scorpio energy and Gemini is fucking bipolar as shit. So it's like, I can astrologically explaining, explaining things actually makes me feel better. Um, But because I have intense experiences, it's almost like each trauma experience gets worse and worse and more intense. And so going through that since I was 11, or even before, I, I mean, I've gone through it my whole life. So it's just been, I, I haven't had a chance to process anything. And most of the therapy I've had never went that deep. I guess I assumed your therapist should go deep with you without you telling them you want to go deep. I don't really get it. I had one good, uh, one good psychologist, a couple good psychologists I worked with when I was a teenager. And I had a good social worker I worked with. But after that... Nobody went deep with me and I didn't know how to ask for them to go deep with me, if that makes sense. And my parents were really, they really treated me horribly for my entire life. So, and and I mean, just terribly, like not the opposite of how you should treat a mentally ill person. I mean, calling the police, (laughs) forcing me to take medicine that was bad for me um, and just being horribly abusive and, um, and yeah, I don't know how to say it. 
So it's not like I'm shaming them, but I'm going to hold them accountable. My dad was like, what do you mean hold me accountable? I'm like, Jesus, you're stupid. (laughs) I literally said, listen to my show, please. I know he won't, but because I curse and and, uh, my dad's like a pastor. So it's like no cursing in the kingdom of heaven. Okay, whatever, dude. Sorry, you're missing out. And so I guess I get upset with my parents now because they're in the Adventist church cult, whatever you want to call it. And my dad is like trying to spread mental health awareness and he's never been to therapy in his life. And he's kind of like exploiting my trauma so he can (laughs) further his career and like advance, which is fine. But I'm like, the only reason you're aware about mental health is because you had me like as your kid and because you abused me. So it's just kind of ironic whenever he's having these seminars about mental health on Adventist campuses. And I'm just like, please don't exploit my trauma so you can look good. Um, And it's my dad that's really doing that more than my mom. My mom is not. My mom was the one who helped me through all of it. My mom was the one who took care of me through all of it. So when I see my dad getting all this credit for being like aware, I get really upset because he doesn't even know what accountability means. (laughs) So, and my mom actually researched, she knows what bipolar disorder is. My dad doesn't know the difference between uh, depression and like, he doesn't know what fucking anxiety, I don't know. It was just, it's really disappointing for me to see. Not that I, it's like, It's so complicated because, of course, I want people to be aware of mental health, but I just think it just feels like I'm being exploited yet again. And my dad has always used me as examples in his sermons and stuff. And it's like, I'm not Adventist. I'm literally a pagan. I'm the opposite. And so please, like, don't use me (laughs) as a way to make yourself look good. I just think my dad is kind of selfish and I just don't. I don't think he's been a great dad. I think he's been a good pastor, but I would rather have my mom be the one sharing stories about mental health since she's the one who took me to every appointment, made sure I had my medication, argued with the psychiatrist so I could get good care, um, actually did research about my mental illness, actually has improved, taken accountability, living a better life. And has actually struggled with mental illness herself. So I really don't think my dad is qualified to be talking about it in any capacity. And that's what upsets me. Because I feel very exploited. (laughs) And it's really upsetting. Really upsetting when you've been used as, as an example in sermons your whole life. So your dad can get praise and credit. Because people love my dad. But he's just... for he. I don't know him. Like I literally don't really know the guy. I don't like the guy. And I get really tired of people coming up to me and talking to me about my dad and how he's made a positive impact on their life. I'm like, good for you, girl. Don't know him. Like I straight up, I'm being honest with you guys. And I'm not, I guess I'm manic right now, but I took my Seroquel last night. I wouldn't want to go to his funeral because it would just be all these people I don't know. You know, I like talking about somebody I don't know. So, and he's not going to listen to this. Uh, (laughs) And neither is my mom, which is fine. But my mom is normal. She's a regular person. She's not like my dad just tries to be this like perfect weirdo. And, and he gets all this credit and praise. And I think it's stupid. So I'm tired of that. And I'm going to continue to talk about it (laughs) because that's my story. That's my truth. My mom was the one who was there for me through everything, who busted her ass so I could have care, 
who worked so my dad could go play around and like have fun and go on trips without the family. (laughs) So if you want to act like a piece of shit and then you can't like, you need to be able to handle when, when judgment comes Cause it's like Advent, like my dad, he's always like, oh, well, Jesus is going to come down. You know, they believe that Jesus is going to come one day and there will be a judgment. And I'm like, you better be ready to get judged, bro. Sorry. (laughs) Karma's a bitch. I don't know. I just get really, I'm fed up. I'm fed up. I'm tired of pretending. I'm tired of acting like my dad has been this amazing person to me when I literally don't know the guy like that. (laughs) And my mom is the one who I actually care about. And it's like isolated. It's just, it's just fucked up. And, all, and I can tell you, my siblings feel the same way. When you're, a, when you're a kid, you know which parent actually gives a shit about you. You know which parent is there for you. You know which parent shows up. You remember. You know. And that was my mom. So if you want to, I don't want to talk about my dad. Like, I don't want to, I don't, I, I'm, I'm not, I don't feel like, I don't feel like I have a dad. Um. I felt more connected to like random, I I felt more like my seventh grade teacher was more of a father figure than my dad was. You know, I feel like my father-in-law is more of a father figure than my dad has been. And I've succeeded despite that, you know, and I don't have daddy issues. I don't agree with that. I think that's like a misogynistic trope. Um, And it has some truth, I guess, but like, You don't need a dad to survive. You don't even need a mom to survive. You don't need any support or love to survive. And I'm saying that not to be an asshole, but I'm saying that to encourage people who have nothing. Um, One of the most inspiring stories, I I, want to encourage you guys. I'm just taking a sip of my kombucha one second. I want to encourage you guys to look into inspirational stories of people who have overcome major trauma. Um, When I was a kid, I read a lot of Holocaust books. I guess that's normal. But obviously, I was really inspired by Anne Frank and all of these even and Anne Frank didn't survive the Holocaust, but her words, her work, her writing did. And it was profound and and it impact. I mean, it impacts people to this day. I get chills when I talk about Anne Frank. And you know, after that, I really got into Louis Zamperini. I've mentioned him before. He is the the subject of the movie Unbroken, which is a great book. Angelina Jolie directed the movie, and then the book Unbroken tells his story, and it's incredibly inspiring. He was an Olympic athlete who, who became a prisoner of war, who overcame PTSD. He had bipolar tendencies. He had alcoholism, and he he made positive changes in his life and and used the rest of his life to help other people to help young people in need and then the main one and louis is dead and i'm i rest in peace louis zamperini i am so sad i never got to meet the guy but i will continue talking about him because he has been a huge inspiration for me and another inspiring person that i adore is logic the rapper I know a lot of people see Logic and they don't know his story. They don't know of like what he went through. But I really encourage you. I think there's a documentary. There's I think he has a couple documentaries. I know there's one on Netflix. It was like it was I don't I'm I'm not on Netflix right now, but there was like this hip hop show that they did and they took they did a bunch of artists and they kind of highlighted their life and Logic 
um, talked about his life growing up in Montgomery County, Tacoma Park, Maryland, um, Rockville. And I'm from Virginia. I'm not from the DMV, D.C., Maryland, or Virginia. But, you know, I was hospitalized in Shady Grove Hospital, which is where he was born. Don't ask me how I know that. <laughs> but so logic. And then he, he, he grew up in a trap house. I mean, he was in, and I, I'm not saying ghetto, like it's legitimately in the hood, dangerous life. He was kidnapped as a child. He had an abusive mother. His dad was out of the picture and he had nobody, no support, nothing. And he kind of just took, he didn't even have, he didn't even graduate middle school. I think like I, it's, it's an incredible story. There's, there's videos on YouTube about it and I'm not going to link it cause I'm, I'm lazy, but he has an incredibly inspiring story. He came from nothing and he was cooking crack and selling crack and like all of this crazy stuff. And he pursued a career in music and he was successful and he fell in love with hip hop and and then created this entire brand based on peace, love, and positivity. And his story is so incredibly inspiring because he had no support, no love, nothing, nothing going for him. And he took those tiny, horrible circumstances he was dealt, the hand of cards, the shitty hand of cards he was dealt, and he made an incredible, impactful life for himself. And I know you can criticize his music, but I don't do that because... He has, I mean, what, like a fourth grade education. I don't, I don't know the exact, you know, uh, statistics, but you need to look into it because he has done incredible considering this, where he came from. And so that his story is so inspiring to me. And it's why I'm a lifelong fan and I'm always going to support his music and his creative projects because not only is he a creative genius, but it's just so impressive to see where he came from and how, and how far he's come. And how big of a reach he has and how big of an impact he has and what a positive thing he has done with his career and with his life and with his work and his messages, peace, love, and positivity. It is so powerful to see. And when you hear him talk about his trauma, I mean, in that documentary, he really goes into it and it makes you, it's incredibly, I mean, heartbreaking to hear what he went through as a kid. And how scary his life was. And things that nobody ever goes through in their whole life. Much less when you're a child. And it really, it's really, it's, it's sad to hear. But when you've been through similar, and I, I, I'm not going to compare my life to logic. Because like I said, this isn't the trauma Olympics. But you can find that common ground with these inspirational people and you can look to them and say, you know what, if somebody can survive the Holocaust, if somebody can survive a Japanese internment camp, if somebody can survive, you know, being homeless, Logic was homeless in the winter, cold, sleeping in a car, sleeping on park benches. If they can survive that, if Logic can survive Montgomery County, Maryland, <laughs> I can survive whatever life throws at me. And I say that because regardless of what you're going through, you know, this isn't just a show for people with manic depression. I make this show for anybody affected by mental illness in any way, even if you don't have it. And I mean, who doesn't have it at this point? But if you have a loved one or somebody who has manic depression or schizophrenia or OCD, ADHD, anything, I want to make this show not only to explain how our brains work as neurodivergent people, but to give other people hope if they're in a shitty situation. And I want you to know how resilient the human spirit is. And it sucks, right? 
Being a human is bullshit. It's garbage. I hate earth. I hate this shit. I want to be done. And of course, I'm a spiritual person. So I believe, you know, I'm a spiritual being having a human experience and it fucking sucks. And because of everything I've been through and I and I'm and because I'm aware and and listen, it's going to get woo woo for a second, but I'm just explaining myself. But because I'm aware of all these different realities and my different past lives and all of this trauma I've been through in this life, I feel like I'm 8000 years old because the trauma ages you. Even if it doesn't show on your face, you know, some people think I look 18, which I'm not bragging. I just take care of my skin, dude. Get Paula's choice. Um, and, and the ordinary baby, it's not that expensive, but I'm saying I may look young, you know, I'm 25, whatever, but inside due to this trauma, it is like, I feel a billion years old. And I think the reason I get suicidal sometimes it's not because I want to die. I just want a, I just want to sleep for six months and wake up and I want all of the pain to be over. And I think that's where a lot of people who feel suicidal, it's not that they really want to die. They just want the pain to be over for a while. And I think if there was a way that you could just sleep for (laughs) a month after a suicide attempt, after a manic episode, I think that would cure so many of our problems. Just waking up from that beautiful, deep sleep without dreams and just feeling refreshed like a new person. I think that would be incredibly powerful. And the good thing is we are getting to a place where we're experiencing like a societal awareness. It is so positive. And I know for a while it was really hopeless during the pandemic. And then when women started losing their rights, you know, we lost the right to abortion this year in America. And that was shattering. Um, It was heart wrenching for everybody. I mean, and I know People, it was just, I, I'm getting emotional when I think about it, but I know, oh, sorry, I'm, I'm getting emotional. I get really emotional about women. Um, but women, oh, and I'm going to go into my women's empowerment rant for just a second. So just hang on guys, just wait a minute. But women, we have, oh my God, I'm going to, we've persevered since the beginning of time. We have been oppressed and it has only made us stronger, smarter, more capable, and twice as driven. So I want you to know the government is a joke and you always have the right to choose. And you always have the right to choose inside whether the government says so or not, okay? And things are moving forward. That was such a dark time last summer whenever we got that news. It was such a dark time. And it really brought me into a really bad space. I just felt so hopeless. And I was like, are we just going to go back to like women having no rights? I just can't do this. And then, you know, this year or last year, just hearing about the women in Iran, you know, who aren't able to choose what they want to wear. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to make a statement on, you know, Islam or the hijab, but women just having the right to choose, they want to wear their hair down, you know. And, and we're over here in the United States complaining about somebody misgendering us. That's what upsets me. When women in Iran are getting acid thrown on their face and they're still going outside every day and protesting so they can have basic human rights, if that doesn't wake you up and make you realize that you're being a little bit bratty complaining about how things are in the United States, then I don't know what will. 
But I'm doing this. The reason I do my podcast, not only for mental health, but for the women in other countries in Iran who can't speak for themselves, who don't have access to the internet, who don't have access to rights, who don't have free will over their bodies and their choices. That's who I'm doing this for, okay? For the people who can't speak up for whatever reason. Because trauma silences you, even if you don't want to be silenced. I've wanted to talk about bipolar disorder since I was diagnosed, but circumstances kept getting in the way. There were obstacles that I had to overcome. And now I am in a space where I'm surrounded by people, not my toxic family, well, my toxic parents and family. Um, Just, I'm I'm more mad at my parents, my dad. (laughs) But I'm, I'm not surrounded by people who are trying to change who I am, who are not accepting me for who I am, who are not allowing me to speak my truth and be open about my feelings. I'm surrounded by people who love me for who I am, who have always been there for me, who have been consistent with me, who have proven to be trustworthy, who care about me deeply. And because of the support I experience now, and like I said, you don't need support to thrive. When I started this podcast, I had no one. I had no one, not a friend, not a lover. I didn't even have a fucking pet. It was just me. I had no Wi-Fi, no friends, no money, nothing. (laughs) No job. I think I had a job. But all I'm saying is you go through this bullshit of trauma and you go through this pain and many women, most women, make the choice to work on themselves and become better people which is extremely impressive. Most women decide that they want a better life for themselves and they want to get help and they want to become better because they see the potential in themselves and they know they are limitless. And this goes for other people too, regardless of how you identify, okay? This isn't just a podcast for women. They're my main audience, but I want you to know, you know, this is for everybody. Everybody can benefit from this message. You always have the power to choose regardless of the support you experience. And it's hard in those moments when you have no support, it's hard to make the right choices. Um, Because for a while, it was just me alone with my paranoia. (laughs) And that was really hard to deal with. I just didn't understand. And I I had family who's gaslighting me constantly and, and just like not accepting me for who I am and telling me who I am is wrong and my feelings are wrong. It's been my whole life I haven't been able to express my feelings. So this podcast, um, I finally gave myself a space where I could talk about the things that I had not been able to talk about. And I could express myself in a way that I wanted to, in a way where I wasn't kind of bound by these rules of, you know, the cult that I grew up in or my parents. I wasn't worried about what other people were thinking about me. Not that I have ever been, but I gave myself that space to be free. And it was really hard to be alone. I mean, there were so many times I was alone for two years, really. No friends, no lovers, um, and no family that I could rely on. And I, it was scary having to, be, having to face, um, you know, suicidal thoughts by myself. And I've, I've been alone. I've always felt alone. So it's like I never, it wasn't really new to me because I've always felt isolated like, and I never have opened up to anybody. But doing this podcast, it gave me this space to talk about these things that had been buried inside for so long that I had really been ashamed of. And I no longer feel that shame. 
And there is a really powerful clip by Lady Gaga. Well, it was Lady Gaga on Oprah. And I shared a little bit of it on my Instagram. But I want to share it. Do I share it now? I want to share it now. I'm going to try to insert the audio. <laughs> I'm Actually, I'm going to wait until the end of the show. Because I think it's a really good thought to wrap up on. And we're nearing the end of our time together. But you know me. I like to talk, baby. I'm a Gemini moon. And I'm a Virgo. I feel like Virgos just, once you get them to open up, man, they do not shut the fuck up, which is why I have this show, because I love to talk, baby. But I'm going to play this clip by Lady Gaga at the end of the program, because it's a really good note to end on, but she talks about putting her shame far away and leaving it in a box in the corner and not acknowledging it. And that is where I've come to. And the, the, and, and it is hard dealing with that shame when you're manic, And you guys can go listen to my favorite episodes, Stupid Things I've Done While Manic. You know how hard it was for me to share that shit. I've been ashamed of that my whole life. The guilt you feel, the embarrassment, um, the shame, all of that. But the way to beat shame is to talk about it. That's what I've learned. Because shame wants you to shut up and, and isolate yourself and sit in the corner and be, you know, it wants you to feel less than. But the way to destroy it is to say, fuck you, shame. I'm going to talk about all of this shit. I'm opening up the box and I'm dumping it on the table. And you're either going to like it or you're going to get the fuck out. And I know, I don't know. I'm not going to ever apologize for being who I am. I never really have. And it's so crazy how like all throughout life, it's like people just, I mean, I feel, and I know other people feel this way, but it's like you get bullied for who you are. You get bullied for being yourself. You get shamed for being yourself. You, you, you get told, oh, you're never going to be able to do this. You're never going to be able to do that. One of my teachers said, well, because I wanted to have a radio show because this, it was 2010 and I really loved Elvis Duran in the morning, still do. But I was like, I want to have a radio show. And they were like, you're never going to do it. Radio is dead. Well, look at me now, dumbass. Here I am my own radio show. It's so stupid. And I think I've wanted to be a media producer since I was 11 years old. I've wanted to self-actualize since I knew what it meant. Okay. I learned about what was that? The somebody's hierarchy of needs, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I learned about that in the sixth grade. And the second I saw self-actualization down at the bottom, I said, okay, that's my goal. And so I've done everything I can since I was 11 to achieve this goal and now I've achieved it. And I'm not saying that to be like, I'm not saying that to brag. I'm saying that so people understand everything I do is intentional. I do not lie. I speak the truth. I walk in the light of the truth. I've always been this way. I've always been true to who I am. I've never cared about what other people think. And so whenever I had this manic episode, <laughs> if you guys follow my Instagram, I roasted a bunch of people who I think are shitty. And I think a lot of them, I got a call from one of them who thought they were my friend. They called me four times. I didn't answer. I didn't have the number. I deleted their number because they had texted me and my husband, which it's like, bitch, you don't know us. <laughs> but I, they had texted me and my husband and both of us deleted and blocked but I didn't, I deleted the number before I could block. And then I didn't know the number. You know how it goes. So they called me, this person called me four times and I was like, Ooh, she mad. And I blocked him. 
Because the reason is I said what I needed to say. I agree with everything I said. And if you're expecting me to apologize, I'm not gonna. Because I saw some of those people after I got out of the hospital and I got back on Instagram, I saw some of the people I roasted checking my story because they're little pussies. I haven't, I unblocked everybody, guys. I unblocked every single person. So if you have a problem, feel free to DM me or email me at manicstateofmind at gmail.com, manicstateofmindpodcast at gmail.com, or hit me up on Instagram because I didn't block you guys. <laughs> but they're, they just want entertainment. Um, and they think, I don't know, I guess people think whenever I'm manic that it's like I'm psychotic, but this last episode, I wasn't psychotic, bitch. I was just manic, which means um, I was actually kind of like grounded into reality more than you think, girl. Oh, sorry, I just dropped something. But I'm never, I'm not going to apologize. And because and the reason it's like, what are you guys going to do? Say I cyber bullied? Oh, check my bio, satire, hyperbole, comedy, roast. Sorry, girl. Where, what, what, what can you say? Everything I said was true. Do you guys regret opening up to me now? Do you regret telling me your secrets now? <laughs> I don't give a fuck. I don't give a fuck. I have nothing to lose. And guess what? I work for myself. I work for myself. I'm my own boss. I have my, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, I'm not going to say anything before it happens, but I'm my own boss. I make my schedule. I pay myself. So please, if you want to cancel me or call me out for cyberbullying, I mean, go ahead. <laughs> Nothing I said was untrue. And legally, if you want to say it's defamation, because one of you guys is in law school, you genius in law school, like your, your icon Kimberly Kardashian. You're in law school, bitch. Good for you. Liber I don't need to go into the roast again. I don't need to drag people. And I don't want to mention these idiots because they're losers and I don't need to give them free promo. But I mean, if you're in law school and you want to sue me for defamation, everything I said was a joke. <laughs> so if you sue me for defamation, you're kind of proving that what I said was true. I don't know how that works, but I'm saying I'm not a dumbass. I've been planning this for a long time. You know, people like to talk shit and say revenge isn't a good thing and, and you shouldn't take revenge and, you know, you need to be vulnerable and you need to forgive people. I'm not a Christian. I don't need to forgive anybody. <laughs> and the thing about forgiveness, it's not really for other people. It's not so other people feel good. It's for yourself because living with that resentment eats you alive and it will kill you. So I fully believe in expressing my opinions about other people. But at this point, all of the people I roasted uh, don't follow me. I don't follow them. I don't talk to them. I don't think about them. However, I have their names on a list in my mind. And I remember all these little things they said about me. Um, <laughs> so whenever I roasted them, none of what I said was a lie. Number one, like, please sue me. Sue me because it was all a joke, dumbass. And I don't know. Do you guys not believe in karma? <laughs> People really, really, and I talked about this in my, in my episode, Personal Beef. Please go listen if you haven't. Sorry, that was a kombucha break. I really think it's funny how people treat you like garbage and they're shitty to you. And then they expect for you to like, the, and then they make a positive change. It's like, oh, well, I went to therapy and I changed my life. It's like, good for you. 
I'm not going to let you in my life. I keep a very tight circle, as in I only hang out with people who I've known for 10 years or people who I really trust, um, which is not a lot of people. So, and I know people always, I don't know, there used to be this whole thing of like, oh, you need to have a billion friends. And if you don't have friends, you're toxic. But I think it's not, I think it's the opposite. I think a lot of people let people walk all over them emotionally and then, you know, get upset when they get betrayed. But it's like, I'm just, I've been betrayed before. I've been betrayed my whole life. I can smell bullshit from a mile away. I'm not going to put up with it. Mm-hmm. And I call people out. I do. A lot of those people I've already called out personally, right? And they already know how I feel. And it was like, I'm, like I said in my personal beef episode, I'm willing to give you a chance, but I already know that my intuition is right. And so it's just a matter of time before you get blocked. So yeah, I've never been wrong. <laughs> never not once and if you have a problem consult my production company what I'm saying is though what I want you to know mania well I and I, I'm gonna save this for the next episode but I view mania and psychosis like a mushroom trip not only because of the similarities um in the effects like if you take psilocybin it's very similar and maybe you you, t- you have a bad trip it's a lot like being psychotic um But the reason I say this is because after every manic or psychotic episode I've ever had, I come out stronger, better, more effective, um, more resilient, happier, with more good chemicals in my brain. And I think it's the same. I think it's it's the same. And everything I, I just, it's beautiful. The delusions I've had in past manic episodes have now come to life. And so if you want to discredit people with manic depression, I just don't think you're going to like my content and I don't think you're probably listening to this show, girl, because this is the space for healing, health, help, happiness, wealth. I couldn't think of another H word, but that wraps up my time. I think it it might be a little shorter of an episode today, but I really want to share this last clip of Lady Gaga with you guys so you guys can know exactly how I feel. This is my mission statement for 2020. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Please follow me on Instagram, Amorphous Blob of Goo. That is my personal page. Um, my, my, uh, my podcast page is Manic State of Mind Podcast. I got everything linked in the bio for you guys. I will see you next week. Here's some words for our lady love, Lady Gaga. What kept you getting up? All of you. And women like you. Mm. Faith, inspiration, hope. And I also have to say, I have to say it, and I know that this is controversial in a lot of ways, but medicine really helped me. And I, I, I think a lot of people are afraid of medicine for their brains to help them. And I really want to just erase the stigma around this because I, I'm sick of saying it over and over and over again. And also, by the way, if your primary care doctor is, is um, prescribing you an antidepressant and an antidepressant, this should not be happening. Your primary care doctor should be introducing you to a psychiatrist who is an expert in me- brain medication. And 
what what moves me so much in this space and why I want to work so heavily and much more thoroughly through it in the future is that not everybody has access to these things and not everybody has the money for these things and I want the money for it I want the best doctors in the world and I want us to understand the brain and all get on the same page about it so that Gen Z does not have to deal with this the way that we are right now. Mental health is a crisis. Are you able to remain creative in the midst of the pain? Yes. Really? Yes, and that has come from both medicine, therapy, dialectical behavioral therapy, cognitive therapy. DBT therapy, yes. DBT therapy, yes. yes. And also, it's come through something that I learned through DBT, which is called radical acceptance. I am sitting here with arguably the most powerful woman on the planet. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And I have radically accepted that I will put my shame in a box all the way over there and make it very small. Mm and say to myself, I have mental health issues. I take a lot of medication to stay on board. And I'm a survivor and I'm living and I'm thriving and I'm strong and I'm gonna take all my life experiences and I'm gonna share them with the world and make it a better place. Wow.